0: Well, good afternoon. And my name is um Dr. Cindy CBAN Sale. Um at Doc Cindy D O C S I N D I on Twitter. And this afternoon, I have um, Professor Tim Noakes and Karen Thompson in studio. And they're here to speak about um, the low-carb, high-fat eating plan that has been taking the country by storm. It started um, really with earnest in 2011. And I remember I was such a skeptic. But here they are in studio to speak about it. You can call us on 861 You can tweet us at cliffcentral.com or you can WeChat at Cliff Central. So before... You know, I waste any more time. Let's go through to Corin. Corin, tell me about the low carb, high fat um, summit.
1: Oh, so essentially we have just got sixteen of the world leaders in the low carb, high fat way of life um, to come to Cape Town from the nineteenth until the twenty second of February at the Cape Town Convention Centre. We are beside ourselves with excitement. So what it is, it's a platform for us to look at the science behind the low-carb, high-fat diets and really to see what the truth is, what's going on, to create a platform for questions and interaction and really the truth to be exposed because the Banting diet has become known as dangerous. And the truth is that it's been going for a very, very long time, just under different names. So um, Professor Noakes, because he is such a fabulous international, um, you know, renowned doctor, has has managed to get all these amazing guys to come. So it's called the Old Mutual Health Convention.
0: Okay. So that's it's the Old Mutual Health Convention. Yes. Okay.
1: Um, and the website is www.lowcarbhighfatexperts.com. It is registered for CPD points for oh, doctors. fantastic. It's so know. important. Very important. So we are encouraging as many health professionals as possible to come and attend.
0: Okay. And when
1: is it happening again? Nineteenth till the twenty second of February
0: at okay. the Cape Town Convention Center okay, and Karen, just tell us a bit about yourself. I mean, I know that you come from medical royalty, I know that your grandfather <laughs> was um Professor Chris barnard um, but yeah, how did you get involved with um the thing that you do? I know your you, your Twitter account is help diet s a but tell me a bit more about that yeah, so I am a sugar addict yes. in recovery
1: uh, my sugar addiction has been with me since I was about four years old, okay. It's the addiction that has literally comforted me through everything that I've gone through in my life, um, and I've used it to soothe myself, reward myself, punish myself, but it was only after I'd been in recovery from my cocaine and alcohol addiction for 10 years that I discovered I had a sugar addiction, Okay. and I, I heard Professor Noakes talk on carte blanche, and he mentioned sugar and addiction in the same sentence, and it was like a light bulb went off, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's me, Exactly. So Professor Noakes and I started H.E.L.P., the Harmony Eating and Lifestyle Program in Cape Town, which was the first inpatient program treating sugar and carbohydrates as an addiction. Uh, We don't do it together anymore, but essentially the program is still running at at Harmony Clinic. We look at the underlying emotional, spiritual, psychological issues related to addiction. Um, Sugar is just a manifestation. Eating sugar is just a manifestation of something much deeper. And that is why some people try banting and they fail and they can't start, stop eating carbs because there is something, uh, there's something deeper going on. So, um, I then started the sugar free revolution online program as well. So we have an eight week online program to help people beat their sugar addiction.
0: and and for you having beaten sugar, what is the hardest thing to give up? Cause for me, I mean, I told you earlier on, <laughs> I still struggle with Eros and I think it is emotional. You're right. Cause you know, yeah, it is emotional, but I'm down to one glass a week. Whereas as before, I used to drink five liters a week. So what is the hardest thing for you to give up?
1: The hardest thing for me was Coca-Cola.
0: Oh my goodness. A lot of people are addicted to Coca-Cola.
1: I know. And it was, you know, Coca-Cola was my little soothing friend. It was always there. It was like my best friend. It never spoke back. It comforted me when I was sad. It rewarded me when I was happy. And it was there when I was lonely. So Coca-Cola to me... Um, reminded me of my dad and his love when I was young. So okay. anytime I felt vulnerable, I wanted Coca-Cola to kind of soothe me. And I know it may sound completely bizarre to some people, but to those of us who suffer from addiction, we can understand that we need an external substance to soothe us.
0: And what's been really interesting for me, Corinne, is I've started label reading. So you can imagine I look at everything and the amount of sugar, added sugar to food is unbelievable. That's been horrifying for me. And it's been eye-opening as well.
1: Absolutely. I had no idea. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, sugar is the greatest threat that we have to our society. Um And anything that you don't know where it comes from or it's not in its original form shouldn't even be consumed. So I'm big for just eat real food mm. uh, and to just stick to really eating food in its natural state, meat, vegetables, fat, and to live a clean and authentic life in every way possible,
0: and and artificial sweetness. What do you have to say about those? Because I have I had a lot of queries about those.
1: Absolutely revolting. Also because my brain can't distinguish between real sugar and fake sugar, so okay. I'll start craving sugar. Yeah, even if I have uh, fake sugar, so okay. I, I don't even go there. And my taste buds have changed completely. Mm-hmm. So now I would imagine if I had a Coca Cola, I would be. It would be disgustingly sweet. But before, mm. it was just a Coca-Cola. So I've noticed how much my taste buds have changed and just how, what a huge difference it's made in my life. And I've actually just written a book called Sugar-Free, yeah. Eight Weeks to Freedom from Sugar and Carb Addiction, which will be available in February and mm-hmm. um, through Jonathan Ball Publishers. And that's also thanks to Professor Nox, really, that that happened. Um, and it's very exciting that we have all these opportunities present, and that people are starting to believe that sugar really is an addiction. Mm,
0: well, no, I'm so glad you're here, but we'll come back to you later on during the show. Um, Prof. Miluk, thank you so much for being here, and um, I'm really, no, I'm really glad to be chatting to you about about um your your the Banting diet and the low carb, high fat eating plan. And just to give us, I, I think we we we'd like to know a bit of background on how you ended up adopting this eating plan.
2: Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for inviting me. It's really quite simple. My dad died of type 2 diabetes, and in my opinion, he got the wrong advice. But, of course, I didn't know in those days because I was following conventional wisdom. Then, four years ago, I suddenly realized that my health was in danger, and fortunately, I changed to this diet overnight because I read the literature, the original literature that I could find, And within two hours, I realized that we'd been lied to and that there was all this information out there, which I did not know about. And here I'm a medical doctor and exercise physiologist who'd in fact studied nutrition and published papers on it for many years. And I absolutely had no idea of what was going on. So I went on the diet and then subsequently discovered that I had type two diabetes. Now here I am for 33 years. I follow this low, sorry, the low fat diet. I run marathons. I do everything our profession tells Mm. us to make you healthy, and I get type 2 diabetes. And under the most ideal circumstances, I mean, I've lived this idyllic life where I could run and I was always had access to good food, and I had all this knowledge, and I was given all this other information. I was not ignorant. I did exactly what I was told to do, and I developed type 2 diabetes. And then I began to think, You know, what hope has anyone else got if they're lacking my information? Are they ever going to avoid diabetes? And the answer is probably not, if they have genes and they eat this high-carbohydrate diet. So... I was going along, and I didn't plan to change the world in any way, and I was very reluctant to expose myself to come out of the closet. I
0: can imagine. That's how I felt for the first two weeks as well, (laughs) Prof, because you can imagine, in the medical fraternity, your friends look at you funny, and they don't understand why Mm. you're doing this, because it goes against (laughs) everything we've ever been taught.
2: That's correct, and in medicine, you mustn't question. You mustn't Mm. challenge opinions, which is terribly sad, because ideas move forward and you have to be trying at the being at the cutting edge and look at new information. And if we're telling our students that they can't look at new information and because we know everything, well, why then do we have universities and medical schools because we know everything? Well, then why bother to do any research?
0: And prof. So when you, so in 2010, you started eating like this in 2011, you gave your first interview on carte blanche. What is the response?
2: Well, I think it's, there's a dichotomy of responses. Um, remember now that we've written the Real Meal Revolution, I've had an experience no South African has ever had in the history of South African medicine. I've given at least 100 lectures in the last year on this eating plan, A 100 lectures. Wow. I've probably spoken to 20,000 South Africans across all avenues of life in South Africa, across the breadth and width of South Africa. There's no one who's had such exposure to the average South African and the problems they have with their health and with nutrition. And I can tell you that from their point of view, they are so supportive that it is amazing. On the other hand, there's a group of people, and our colleagues are are frequently (laughs) part of that, who are completely against it without any reason for being. There is no scientific evidence supporting the dietary guidelines that we are following at present, none at all the clinical trials that have been done. And what really interests me is that the doctors now become scientific, you see. Mm. Remember, I'm a scientist. I've, I've lived my life as a scientist.
0: Yes. Um, and, and, that, and I know this. And that's why yeah. that is one of the reasons that crossed me over was the fact that you have lived your life as a scientist. You've, you've written paper after paper on stuff. And you're an, ex- an expert in this, the topic of, of physiology and nutrition.
2: And so what we're asked to do is to produce overnight Long term clinical trials lasting 30 or 40 years, costing billions, which prove that this is diet works. Whereas there are major clinical trials costing in excess of billions of dollars, showing that the low fat diet, the one that we're meant to eat, has no long term beneficial effects for your health and probably has detrimental effects. Mm. And we are not told that. Mm. And that is what I can't get over. And in contrast, there are 24 clinical trials of the low-carb diet versus the low-fat diet mm. showing that for almost all the variables in the blood that we think are important, they are more improved on the low-carbohydrate diet than on the low-fat diet. Mm. And the evidence is out there. Mm. And I get criticized frequently by people saying there's no evidence for what you say. Yeah, There is plenty of evidence. There is much more evidence to support this way of eating than there is for the low-fat diet, which was introduced in
0: 1977. Yeah. And, well, I mean, the other criticism as well comes from people that have tried to debate with you, engage with you on Twitter, and they feel that you block their criticisms. What is your response to that?
2: I don't block their criticisms. I only block them if they become personal, which is, mm. you see, a lot of people use it to, to, to expose me in a different light and so on. And, you know, it's really interesting. I save everything that is ever written about me that's yeah. critical, and I look through it. And I look at it, and I said, where's the science? Let's focus on the science. If it mm-hmm. doesn't focus on the science, if it focuses on me as an individual, they don't know me. They, they know nothing about my past experience. They don't know my curriculum vitae. Mm-hmm. They don't know my rating as a scientist. They don't know what I've published. They don't know that in 19 eight, sorry, 1978, I did my first study on a low-carbohydrate diet, and we published the results. In the Journal of Physiology, which is probably the premier physiology journal in the world, and so i 've been studying nutrition since one thousand nine hundred and seventy eight and people say oh you 've got no background in in nutrition, how can you teach it, and how can you claim that mm. yeah so i don 't I would welcome debate on this. The problem is when I debate it, no one wants to come forward and debate the real issues
0: yeah, and I think the medical fraternity is probably having a a, a hard time. Around this eating plan I've seen it with myself I mean now that I've come Out of the closet As it were As um, a, a medical doctor That's banting I've had my fair share Of flat like mm. coming my way But with me It's really a matter Of life or death I, I, I know what this has done What this eating plan Has done for my life And I know What it's going to do For my future as well And that's why I've adopted it And one of the things That always comes up Prof I mean I'm, mm. I belong To this Facebook Banting group And a lot of the questions Are around exercise And, and banting So how do the, How do the two Work together
2: well, Cindy, I, wrote, I ran 70 marathons. Bruce Fordyce ran 200 marathons, awesome. and we both got fatter and put on weight, and we could not control our weight with exercise. The reality is that if you have to exercise to control your weight, your diet is wrong, mm-hmm. and it's too high in carbohydrate. It's always that. So that's the key. We say first get the diet right, the weight will come off, and once you have, are into the new eating plan, mm. then you can take, take up exercise. But I think it it really is a difficult adaptation early on. Yeah. And you must focus on making sure you don't eat the carbohydrates and you get rid of the sugar addiction. The exercise comes later. Exercise is critically important. Yeah. But it only comes later.
0: Okay. And in terms of the sugar addiction, I mean, Karen, one of my doctor friends has just messaged and he says that um, it's not in the DSM 5. So how can you just come up with this term sugar addiction? It's not even documented.
1: Um, and you know what? That's that, uh, very small-minded thinking. And I'm not a medical professional and, and I never will be. Mm. Um, but you know what? You know, just because something's in the DSM-5, uh, not in the DSM doesn't mean that it's not going to be in the future. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, we just had a lovely comment from, a, a, one of our favorite people on Twitter again, listening to the show. Funnily enough, even though he, he had a horrible ho- comment to say about it, but still listening. So thank you so much, Jonathan. We love having you. Um, yes. But sugar addiction, sure. And more and more studies are being done to prove that sugar really is an addiction. There's Dr. Nicole Levina in the States. She's doing a lot of research on this. And, and that's just to name a few. Mm. So sure, it's not in the DSM, but when's the next one coming out?
0: (laughs) Well, I want to talk about the fat content of this diet because, um, I think when I, when I speak to these people about this eating plan, actually, um, the the whole thing is around the high fat component. And this is my experience. Okay. So if I have a breakfast of three eggs, with cheese and three rashes of bacon. I'm sorted until 4pm when I have a snack and then I have supper at 7pm. And so I think, Prof, what we need to dissect is the high fat component of this, of this, of this eating plan. I think people mean that, the people believe it to mean that you can eat whatever you want and that's not true. Quantity still matters. So I think let's break this down for people because that is always the first question. Isn't this going to clog my arteries?
2: <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, you've asked about four different questions. <laughs> okay. There. Well, this is a, let's
0: let's, let's, yeah, let's deal with all of them.
2: Well, firstly, let's look at the data. The data okay. show that a high-fat diet does not cause heart disease. That is proven yes. and established. So we can get rid of that. Now, what people say, oh, but your cholesterol is going to go up, so it's going to cause heart disease. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. We know that a high-fat diet does not cause heart disease. So whatever it does to your cholesterol, it can't cause heart disease because we know that. Mm. So even if your cholesterol goes up, and we need to make the point that on this diet, the average does not change.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: However, what does happen is that the good things happen, and the bad things go away or get, get less bad. So you immediately raise your HDL cholesterol, and most important, your triglycerides come down. And if you want to understand whether you've got normal cholesterol metabolism or not, you look at cholesterol. You look at triglycerides. You don't look at cholesterol. You look at triglycerides. And when your triglycerides are below 0.7 millimoles per liter. All your LDL cholesterol is in the large particles, the so-called A-pattern, which is safe. We believe it's safe. Mm-hmm. Whereas if your triglycerides are above 0.7, increasing amounts of the LDL cholesterol is in the small, dense, atherogenic ones. And they indicate that you're not clearing cholesterol. And the cholesterol is lying around in the blood, and it is going to damage your arteries because it's got nowhere else to go, in mm-hmm. a sense. So that's the first point, that on this diet, even if your cholesterol goes up, we don't know what it means, and we think it's probably safe because that LDL cholesterol will be in the larger particles, which are safe. That's the first point. Secondly, saturated fat in the diet cannot turn into cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And okay, no so, one,
0: so we need that to be cleared up once and for all.
2: It cannot. When you eat fat... It goes into your fat cells. Okay. It is then transported to the liver, and the liver produces cholesterol from glucose predominantly. Okay. And so when you are eating plenty of carbohydrates, you have a high insulin, and it is the high insulin that drives cholesterol production. So we have this paradox that our cardiologists are telling us we must use a drug to block HMG-CoA reductase which is an enzyme which is activated by insulin, so it makes sense that if you want to deactivate this hormone or sorry this enzyme, you don 't take statins, what you do is you eat a high fat diet and that will reduce mm-hmm. that enzyme activity okay. so that that's the <laughs> so you see the, the whole theory about Ancel Keys is that saturated fat goes straight to the clogs' arteries there's no biological way in which that can happen, and people have to understand that. And they have to understand that if you're insulin-resistant and you eat a high-carbohydrate diet, you just generate all these triglycerides. And it's those that are an indication that you're in trouble.
0: Okay. And, then, and I think, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I'm insulin-resistant. I've got all the problems that you've spoken about. And that's why I think the Banting Eating Plan is really working for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm promoting it because it has changed my life considering the fact that I'm overweight and insulin-resistant. And Another question that I get asked a lot prof is around hypothyroidism. How does banting affect your thyroid
2: I'm not the world authority on this, but yeah. I believe that the high carbohydrate diet and the high cereals and grains, and particularly wheat yeah. produce an autoimmune condition because they produce the gut that leaks, and if you have a leaky gut, you don't know what happens next because all proteins start to be getting absorbed, and you can then produce autoantibodies against those those proteins. And there is some suggestion that, that hypothyroidism might be an autoimmune condition. And I think, and again, it's my opinion, that the first thing you need to do if you have an autoimmune condition is seal up your gut and stop the gut leaking. And I know, you know, I know I'm sure people are out there going to say, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> Let me just make the point that the, 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 the leading person in autoimmune disease is Dr. Alessio Fasano mm-hmm. in Harvard. And about a month ago, he was, he had a show on on the YouTube, and he said the following: He said all disease begins and ends in the gut. Mm-hmm. Now this is not Tim Noakes speaking. This is a Harvard professor, and if he had no evidence for that, he, he would be laughed it. out of court. Mm. He hasn't. Go and watch his videos. They are utterly astonishing. That man must get a Nobel Prize if he's correct in the in due course because he links a whole range of chronic ill health to this leaky gut, and he puts wheat as the driver of it all. Now, the key to the Banting diet is the first thing it must go is wheat, and that is one of the benefits, and I think a lot of the benefit that people get from this diet is cutting out wheat. I got I got rid of about four different conditions, minor medical conditions, which I thought, well, that's the effects of age. They weren't. They were all directly related to wheat, so, this is
0: okay. So, was it the type 2 diabetes or would which? No,
2: this is this was I had f- quite serious headaches. Yeah, I had gastric reflux mm-hmm. and I had frequent bronchitis and, and exercise induced asthma and rhinitis, and they all disappeared within a month of cutting the wheat. And then I read Dr. Fasano's work and I realized there it is you had a leaky gut all these years. Of course, the irritable bowel syndrome, I mean, that's the other one that goes with it. Mm.
0: And, I, and I mean, I, re- I know I read once where you spoke about your eyesight and how your eyesight had improved.
2: Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't wear glasses anymore. It's so you don't
0: wear glasses anymore. No,
2: and I'm not the only one. Bruce Ford, I was my great friend who, despite running 200 marathons, still had to wear glasses. And he was lecturing about two years ago. He said, Tim, you know. I don't need the glasses anymore to read my my slides or read my lecture. Wow! So, and I I don't know what what how he explains that, but it's astonishing. I
0: mean, the, the Australia, there's a, there's an Australian team that you've been working with. Um, that's Australian. Is it the rugby team or the cricket well, team?
2: Well, no, I've got two fabulous stories. Okay, yeah, those, those, yeah I
0: needed to ask about <laughs> that. Yeah.
2: So let me let me <laughs> I'll start with the rugby, and then we'll got to cricket because the rugby is much more interesting. Because if you remember the 2011 Rugby World Cup, we lost in the quarterfinals against Australia. Because David Pocock cheated the whole way, and he had support from the referee. And he was lying on the ball, and he was doing all sorts of things. At the end of that game, I was interviewed. The minute it ended, and I said, I can't understand why the referee can allow this to have happened, and in fact cost us the World Cup. And a few weeks later, when the Springboks came back, because I'd been working with them, I wrote a letter to the Cape Times saying that the International Rugby Board needs to prove that this game wasn't fixed, you see. I didn't say it was fixed. I said they had to prove it wasn't fixed because the referee was so appalling, you see. And if David Pocock had walked in the door, I would have throttled him to death (laughs) with the referee. Three weeks ago, David Pocock twitters, and he says, you must follow Tim Noakes on Twitter.
0: Oh, my word. Okay.
2: He then sends me an email, and he says, Prof, I'm on your diet, and it's utterly amazing, the changes.
0: Oh, my word. Yeah. I said,
2: David, we are the biggest mates, and I forgive you for being. For everything you Africa. ever did. <laughs> <laughs> so that is David, and he's coming to see me in, April, in, August, uh, in May when the, the, the team he plays for comes to Cape Town. Okay. That's that one. The other one is even more interesting. So Karam, Dr. Karam Khan is a great friend of mine. And he's a medical doctor from Australia. And I got him into research. He was a clinician working with teams. And eventually I said to him, Karim, you have to get into research. You know, you're a really clever guy. So he got into research and did his PhD and eventually became the editor of the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And he's completely converted this into the best sports medicine journal in the world. And he watched me on this diet. He said, Tim, you're absolutely mad. This is completely wrong. How can you possibly advise this diet to everyone, you see? You know, I, I I think this time you've lost it, you see. So anyway, eventually he says, because he eats his cereals and grains for breakfast, and he's very lean. So eventually he says, okay, Tim, just to humor you, I'm going to change my diet. So he changes his diet. He loses six kilograms. He's always lean. Mm-hmm. And he suddenly says, you know, I don't have to run anymore to control my weight. And he said, I'm more alert and so on and so forth. So he loses weight. His best mate is a guy called Peter Bruckner. And mm-hmm. Peter Bruckner and him write the best textbook on sports medicine for well, clinical sports medicine. Peter Bruckner happens to be the doctor with the Australian cricket team.
0: Oh, my word. And
2: they are in playing the Ashes in England. Mm-hmm. And they are getting smacked. They are losing 5-0, you see. And Peter Bruckner is frankly obese, you see. Now, he's the medical doctor. He's younger than me. And mm-hmm. he's obese. And he suddenly realizes, well, Tim Noakes lost X kilograms Maybe I must try So he tries and gets this fabulous result. And all of a sudden, he looks like an athlete again from being a beast. And one day he's reading Gary Taubes' book, Good Calories, Bad Calories, in the change room. And one of the Australian batsmen, Shane Watson, comes up and says, Doc, what are you reading? He says, now I'm reading this book about uh, how you can lose weight and why you should lose weight using this diet. And Shane Watson says, it's always been my problem. I could never control my weight. Do you think I should try it? So Peter Brookness says, why don't you try it? And he has this fabulous result. And Shane's father is also type 2 diabetic. So then it goes from him to Steve Smith to David Warner, who's the fump, plump fat opener. And, from <laughs> and it goes to Mitch Johnson. These guys all change their diets. By the time they get to Australia for the Ashes series in Australia, they clean up England 5-0. N- n- and who are the best performers? Those four.
3: Amazing. Those four.
2: And Mitch Johnson... Now, who's a very quiet guy, he's a fast bowler, he's terrifying. The most terrifying bowler in the whole world. He says that it was the change in diet that helped him. And Steve Smith and David Warner are two of the top batsmen in the world now. And they're both on the start. And I think it works because you can concentrate better. Because you don't have this sugar fluctuation all the time.
0: Wow, Prof. That's, that's really great <laughs> stuff that we're hearing. But we'll be back after the song break and we'll carry on with this discussion with Karen and with Prof Tim Noakes.
3: Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it as soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better stop swimming or sink like a stone For the times they are a changing. Some writers and critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again, and don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin, and there's no telling who the naming For the loser now will be later to win or the time. Senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't look up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled There's a battle outside that is raging Wilson, shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times, they are a change
0: Oh, that is a great song Bob Dylan From 1964 Just for Prof Prof We found that song Just for you <laughs> Fabulous
2: Fabulous Takes me back
0: <laughs> Yeah So now Back to the eating plan Okay um, So Banting is Low carb High fat And medium protein And I think this is something that We need to break down For everyone out there Because I know that A lot of people just think It's high fat all the way No it is not So Prof Banting
2: Well, the key is to reduce the carbohydrates because that's what's driving your appetite. So obesity is a disease of the brain, and that's what we have to get across. And we were very lean until 1980s, and humans have been lean for 3 million years. And something changed in 1980, and in my opinion, it was this increase in carbohydrates which drive your appetite. So most people eat addictively, as Karen was saying, but it's not just the sugar. It's also the carbohydrates. So we find if you have to eat breakfast of a high cereals, lots of carbohydrates, you're hungry three hours later. Mm. But your experience is exactly my experience. I mean, I eat once a day nowadays. Mm. And I can go 24 hours without eating quite comfortably. And, mm. and food just isn't an issue anymore. Mm. And I've been stopped in the middle of the road by people who kissed me and said, Thank you, Dr. Nox. You got rid of all my food cravings. I can now actually live without worrying about food. And the beauty of being on the banding diet is food is irrelevant. You don't think about it except at breakfast and dinner. And that's it. The rest of the day, you go about your business and you don't worry about food. That's true. So so that's the key. The key is cutting the carbohydrates. And for some people, they'll want to eat more fat and others, they'll eat more protein and get the results. But by and large, you can't eat too much protein because it becomes toxic. Yeah. And so you have to eat the fat. But let's make the point that I will bet that when you have lost all the weight you were hoping to, or you will, I must make the point, you will lose, you may well be eating less fat than you were when you were bigger and eating more calories.
0: And I'm already cutting down on the fat. I think the more the fat falls off, the less I need, but I still do need fat every single day as as part of my eating plan. And the sugar... I've, I've managed to cut out completely. That's been very hard. And um, I mean, the thing, Prof, the, the biggest issue that I have is that when people ask me about this eating plan, they're always concerned about the kidneys and the liver. Does fat cause a fatty liver? What's going to happen to my right. kidneys? And what about gout? And Fambulous does questions. long-term ke- ketosis sterilize your gut? Those questions Fambulous keep questions. coming.
2: <laughs> so let's look at gout. Gout is part of the metabolic syndrome, which is part of insulin resistance and high-carbohydrate diets. Fatty liver is caused by excessive triglyceride production in the liver, and it occurs only from carbohydrates. And the the more I hear people say, "Oh, but it's fat in the diet that causes the fatty liver," the more angry I get because there's no pathway for to do that. Triglycerides are core are generated from carbohydrates, and we have to cut the carbohydrates if you've got a fatty liver. And and until we realise that, we just don't understand. You know, the biology is so simple; it's in the textbooks. And no one teaches it or understands it.
0: And what about vegetarians? How do how would they adapt to the painting eating plan? M-
2: my opinion is that you all we all need some high quality protein, which we really need to get from eggs or fish or dairy. And I think it's very difficult to, for a vegetarian to be completely healthy, unless they have a touch of that in their diets. And so that's what I normally say. I say if you're a vegetarian, that's great, but do cheat. The problem for vegetarians is if they are carbohydrate intolerant or insulin resistant, they will be fat because okay. they eat so much carbohydrates. Okay. And, a, that, and that's a problem. And, you know, the health of vegetarians is not necessarily better than meat eaters. The, mm-hmm. There's no evidence showing that at all.
0: Okay. And one of the things that I battled when I first began painting was the bad breath and cramps.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: So how do you counter the cramps and then how do you work around yeah. the bad breath?
2: Th- that's a difficulty, but as you, be <laughs> 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 my wife always points it out to me when I'm ketotic. But my my the ketosis gets less with age, sorry, with age with few years of doing this. Oh, is it? Yeah, it oh, does that's good. Less, I'm glad yeah. to hear that. So the, but to correct the ketosis, you uh, you just have to eat protein, and that will stop it within an hour or two. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's that, something I've learned. Yeah. Otherwise, you just have to suck mints and so on.
0: And the cramps.
2: The cramps. Interesting. I think you have to do more stretching. Mm. and that's I don't know what causes them and it's not because you're lacking sodium or potassium or magnesium, or magnesium. Okay. it's not that so, okay, but, so. but paradoxically taking more salt may help you okay. which is surprising and Dr. Finney who's coming to our conference uh, advises that
0: okay and brand endorsements are there any products that are specifically endorsed by yourself because I know in our group we had a discussion about a certain um, brand yeah. that had aligned itself with, with your teachings
2: yeah, the, so just to
0: get it clear, are there any products that are endorsed by Procter as of, Noakes?
2: As of three months' time, no. What okay. happened was that when we formed the Noakes, when we got involved, I wanted to form a foundation to raise money and to give two million rand a year for research of this diet. And so we formed the Noakes Foundation. We needed money. I had to invest quite a lot of money in it to start it. And then we said, well, how could we make money? Well, one way would be to endorse products. Then we produced Real Meal Revolution, the book, and all of a sudden we had an in- income stream. Okay. And we could then use that. We do, we do have two or one or two products that we do endorse at present, but we will be slowly phasing those out because my board of directors said no. Tim Noakes may not endorse any products and, because they feel that that is not the right thing to do for okay. me to do it. So, that's, so art- no, yeah. that's clear. So although I have endorsed one or two products, they are good products, yeah. but we will be phasing out. And in three months' time, no, we will not be endorsing any new products. And, of course, I get asked every day, would I endorse a product? Now it's fantastic. My board said, no, you may not. And that's okay. Fine. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah.
0: So so we shouldn't see you as the face of banting in no, South Africa. No, not at
2: all. Okay. And actually, you know, the, the term banting is wrong because Epstein, it's actually Epstein. So I, <laughs> I read that last week. I saw that
0: in the papers. And, yeah. um, oh, okay. And then menopause and banting. Menopause, what do we, like, I know that some of the women were saying that, Um, They struggle with dairy. They're still keeping the weight on. So they cut out the dairy and then they cut out this and still the weight's not falling off. So what's the advice around that?
2: Yeah, again if you're not losing weight it's because you're eating too many calories. Now, we don't want to say count calories and count portion sizes because that's contrary to what we believe happens. But if your apostat, that's the controller of your calorie intake, if the apostat is affected and has been damaged perhaps by lots of years of, of dieting, then maybe you have to Actually restrict your diet for a time. Okay. What we tell people is don't sit down and eat three meals a day. Try to eat once or twice a day. And practice with fasting and see if fasting can activate the brain again.
0: Mm. Well, And really what works with me, as I said, if I have a good breakfast, I will not eat again until 4 p.m., yeah. a snack then and then dinner at 7. So we have Catherine Child in the studio, and she's a well-known health journalist. And I know she's written a piece on sugar addiction, um, and she's also read up a lot on the banking Diet and a whole other um, range of eating plans. So Catherine is here just to ask a few questions and just to... Have a mild debate. <laughs> I'm oh. teasing you. Just, yeah, just, yeah, Catherine, here you yeah, here you are.
4: I think, uh, my first question would be to say there is no science showing that fat is bad for your heart or there's no science that says you should eat low fat. I mean, is that not a bit ridiculous? No. It's like, like, I'm going to list some studies here. Yeah. The 2010 Cochrane Review. Now, Cochrane Center was set up to Evaluate all the evidence on a subject And when they look at it They throw out the stupid studies That are not good mm-hmm. And they found that Increasing your risk of Increasing your eating of saturated fat Like butter and cheese And full cream milk And all the yummy things Increased your risk of heart attacks
2: Okay let's analyze what you mean By increased risk what is, what is increased risk And remember these studies Are mostly associational studies In the old days Well they're
4: more than what you have
2: No no, which that's, is no Catherine that's not the way you argue When you argue Stick to the facts And answer my question See, don't don't say, oh, you've got no data. That's not how we debate. Okay. So, so, repeat that statement.
4: Okay. I haven't seen any of your data, and I haven't seen any randomized control studies that follow people. There are 24, people randomized
2: 20. trials, 24 randomized control trials showing the low-carbohydrate diet outperforms the low-fat diet in over two-year studies. That is published. I suggest you read Nina Teichold's book on the, I uh, call The Big Fat Surprise, where she looks at all the evidence behind all those studies. Do you know, for example, let me give you an example of a problem with meta-analyses. Meta-analyses so tell us that polyunsaturated fats are more healthy than saturated fats, and we should go on to polyunsaturated fats. The problem is when you dig down and look at the data, there's the Finnish mental health study. Now, if that study, which is very badly designed and is completely flawed, but show the so-called benefit for polyunsaturated fats, if you take that study out and you add the new study from the Sydney Diet Heart Study, you get the exactly opposite conclusion that polyunsaturated fats cause heart disease. Now that's the problem with the science we're dealing with. You have to go and look at every single study.
4: Well, that's what the Cochrane Review did. But I just want to add another study where they followed 80,000 women for more than 20 years. And they tracked who had heart attacks and who didn't. And people who ate more saturated fat had more heart attacks.
2: That's called an associational study. Well, it's 20 years over your two-year studies. Let me tell you. No, it is. It's 20 years over (laughs) two-year
4: studies. And and one more thing. 80,000 people.
2: Catherine, that is an associational study. There was an associational study a few years ago which showed that women who took, took uh, oh, sorry the menopausal drugs lived had less heart disease. Then they gave women heart, those medications and guess what? They got more heart disease. And then they suddenly realised, my gosh, it's an associational study. You cannot conclude anything from an associational study. Nothing. Even Bec- with
4: 80,000 people. No, Absolutely. Because they looked at the education it level. It doesn't matter. It balanced things out. And B- but you can't. It wasn't 100 people. And it but wasn't you can't. two years. But it was you 20 can't. years.
2: You can't. Associational studies move proof nothing. You have to understand that. But
4: sorry, you said that anecdotes. And, and no, no, you, no, no hold on. Anecdotes no, no, sh- show something. Sh- we
2: are, we're discussing associational studies.
4: Well, are they not better than anecdotes?
2: They, just let's fix on this. Associational studies prove nothing. Unfortunately, the Harvard Medical School has published 3,000 associational studies. And when you go and read nutritional evidence, you go and read Dr. Walter Willett's associational studies. But they prove nothing. Because how can you claim that those 80,000 people, the only thing that was different was that some made saturated fat and others didn't? You can't prove it. And anyway, saturated fat does not exist in a food by itself. If you eat meat, you get saturated, you get polyunsaturated fats, you get monounsaturated fats. How can you say it's the saturated fats in butter that cause the heart disease? What about the polyunsaturated fats and the monos? How can you exclude them? So please understand, science has been completely distorted by associational studies because healthy people do healthy things. Did you control for marathon running in that study?
4: They controlled for exercise. but they found that people who exercise more lived longer
2: perhaps, but, but didn't they find that the people who exercise are the ones who tend to be healthier? That that's the problem. And anyway, the benefit is so small at the end. It's so small that in the old days we wouldn't have accepted that that association proved anything. Hmm. The differences, for example, if you're a cigarette smoker, there the association studies were so clear because the difference between the cigarette smokers and the non-smokers was huge. We are dealing in association studies where the differences are trivial. They're 10% or 15% which means nothing. It must be 200 or
4: 200. 15% does it not mean a lot if your risk is high. So 15% on a high risk, it depends the base that you come off.
2: Absolutely.
4: So 15% on a big risk. And if
2: but it's but so not we'll heart disease. The risk of heart disease for all of us is trivial. How many do- patients do I have to see every year for one male to die?
4: Yeah. Well are not yeah. a lot of people having heart attacks and it's exactly. decreasing. But but they're not all on your diet. But so with this <laughs> epidemic of people eating well. Okay, so okay, yeah. no, 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 there are less heart attacks globally. So can you explain
0: that? I think okay, what I need to ask I mean as you're a writer, okay. you're a health writer when, when you, when you sit down and you digest information like the banting diet and so on, and you must now put, relay this to the public. Because remember, a lot of the public, a lot of what the people know about the banting diet comes from what you guys write. Okay, so some people have written really scathing stuff and some people have written bad stuff, but more often than not, it's, 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 it's bad stuff. If I said to you, why don't you try this eating plan out and see how it works for you? Would you be willing to do that? Because that's a that's a position that I took as a medical doctor. I was like, you know what? Let me try this out and see what happens.
4: You know what? I wouldn't be willing as a journalist. So when when I write about Tim Noakes, I would try and give his side of the story and Mm -hmm. someone else's. I wouldn't be willing to try it and say it worked for me, therefore it worked for everyone. No, 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 just in general. just, Just in general, would you try it out? I would try it out, but... I wouldn't make conclusions from it because what works for me, mm. and it's worked for my aunt. I mean, my aunt has had fantastic health benefits mm. from it, and I just think, I mean, she's had problems with her stomach. She's had major ops. The wheat for her, as soon as she cut out wheat, her stomach pain stopped. Oh, okay. But it hasn't worked for other people. I know people whose cholesterol have shot up, mm-hmm. and they still believe that cholesterol is linked to some, not all, heart attacks. So I but, think but cholesterol it works isn't, for some see. people. It's, uh, mm. And I don't, maybe it will work for me. Maybe it won't.
0: No. Oh, okay. Well, no. this is an aside. Um, prof, yeah. someone's asking, Miguel Caldera wants to know if supplements, what's your view on supplements to build muscle? Do they work or is it a money-making gimmick? Yeah, no, they general? don't
2: really work. You know, if you're eating enough protein, that's fine. And then the other supplements really don't work. The only one that works is the banned substance, which we won't even discuss because I don't want to discuss it. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Let's come back to, to what you wrote about the sugar addiction. I could just to move away from Prof to for a while. Um, yeah. So you wrote a piece on sugar addiction and I see one of our one of our listeners has said to us that it's not even in the DSM five. So how can we even speak about that? What is your take on that? What's your take on sugar addiction? I mean, I think
4: in. I mean, I have someone who doesn't speak to me anymore because of the story that I wrote. Yeah. And um, I actually have something a, of a journalist
0: friend or just a friend. In- uh, a
4: journalist friend okay. who I have a, something of a, a bag of a grandmother's that she needs and I don't know how to give it back to her. I mean, I think it's it's Karen's story, and my defence to her was, it's someone's story. I'm not there to tell Karen what she must believe. If she believes she was addicted to sugar, and if cutting it out has changed her life, who am I to be the judge of what how she feels? But I do think, I mean, I know people have cut sugar, and they don't struggle like peop- heroin addicts. A lot of heroin addicts die. I know people who've taken heroin and they've died. So I think that you've got to be careful comparing the two. People really struggle to get off drugs more than they do sugar. And people who are alcoholics and heroin addicts cause more problems than people who are addicted to sugar. So, How? I think you've got to be careful. I don't know anyone who's addicted to sugar who steals. And we had a very good family friend whose son stole for um, money for his drugs. And I know a lot of alcoholics in South Africa, and alcohol's a problem here. Excessive drinking beat up their woman. We have huge violence against women and it often happens when there's drunkenness. So, I'm not sure you can compare having a lot of sugar and having a chocolate a day to alcohol. But... I wouldn't dispute Corinne's story that she felt addicted to sugar, and if she has a little bit, she's going to crave more, so she has to cut it out completely. And just I can't dispute her personal experience.
0: Okay, and going forward, I mean, how do you think that um, the media is going to assist in teaching people about banting, the good and the bad and, you know,
4: everything? How do you think? I don't think the media has to assist in teaching us, but, I mean, our job is to tell people news. It's not Mm -hmm. to... Promote fanning. I also think Professor Noakes is exceptionally gifted at PR. I don't think he needs the media. Well,
0: in terms of an a lot of plan people can no In terms of an eating plan, I mean, the food pyramid as we know it is everywhere. I mean, every single month there is a piece <laughs> on the food pyramid. So for me, this is another eating plan that I feel could work for some people. It certainly could work for people who are overweight and who have insulin resistance. How would you, as a health writer, get that out there? Because I mean, the food pyramid is out there. We all know the food pyramid, and you guys have helped us get it out there. I think
4: What you can say And I think um, The head of the Heart and Stroke Foundation Said this And she was very articulate Is that there's a lot In Professor Noakes Banting diet Uh That everyone agrees on Like cut refined carbs I mean there's no disputing Cut sugar And all the stuff Like uras That has sugar in Eat a lot of vegetables That's also not disputed And then I think You can say that Saturated fat Is still up for debate But people who follow Noakes feel fuller When they eat cheese And cream But other people Who followed it haven't enjoyed it. And I think the other question to ask, and this is the last thing I want to say, is there are questions, if you don't eat refined carbs and horrible sugar, you, your body doesn't secrete so much insulin. So it stops storing all the fat that you're eating, which is why you can eat cream, because it's not going to get stored in your hips or wherever you get fat. <laughs> if you And people do, and you know you, you treated HIV doctor, mm-hmm. patients, mm-hmm. if people... Can't always take their meds. They also can't always follow a diet. Not everyone is self-disciplined. If someone after two years of following nox passionately and religiously decides they want a few beers, some rice, maybe they go live in China, maybe they have cake at a wedding, can their body still handle carbohydrates? And I think that's the question I have. I don't know the answer, but I have had some dietitians say that your body loses the ability to handle carbohydrates once you've cut them out forever. <laughs> what, what is yeah. the answer to well, that? Well, I
2: think the answer is that… Uh, Most of us who have a problem and for which we benefit from the banting, I have poor carbohydrate metabolism anyway. And all we've done for two years is we haven't damaged our bodies so that we've saved two years of our lives. That's how I would argue. I quite agree that you will become more insulin resistant on this diet, but that is beneficial.
4: So you'll become more insulin resistant on this mm. diet. So if you follow your diet, like my 84-year-old grandparents yeah. are quite religious about following your diet, <laughs> if they decide that they're going to start eating bread again or rice or pasta or they want to have cake on a Saturday at tea, they're going to be more insulin resistant so that cake or... Well, for a few a weeks, a few weeks, a few
2: weeks until they adapt back adapt to the high-carbohydrate diet. Mm. So but they will have benefited for two years, you see. That's the key. Um, they won't have damaged their pancreas as much, and so they'll have more insulin available and so on.
1: And can I just quickly say, with the old mutual health convention that we're organizing, um, we're trying to show that different, there are different types of low carb diets. It's not just about banting and low carb, high fat, and that's the only way. So people like Christine Cronau say you can have potatoes, you can have rice. Uh, Zoe Harcomb, you don't combine certain foods. So there's so many Different parts of this way of life, mm-hmm. and I think that 's why we want this conference to come to South yeah. Africa so we can explore the scientific data, but also that there are different ways that work for different people yeah there is no one size fits all yeah. and yet again, I am not a medical professional, but I have seen it countless times you and know? what works is
0: to listen to your body yeah. I mean that is exactly what i'm doing. I really am listening to my body, and yes, I did have a, you know a day when I had ice cream and I got home and I was so sick, mm. so I think your body adjusts and it starts speaking to you and telling you that, you know what, you don't actually need that. And I know now that I probably won't have ever have another ice cream again because it made me feel so icky.
2: Cindy and Casim, can I just make the one point? You know that this diet is focused on people with insulin resistance. And the message we have to get out is that insulin resistance is the single most important medical condition in the world.
0: Oh, yes. And
2: there is a treatment and there is a prevention for it. And that is a diet which is low in carbohydrate. And if we can just get that message across, we really helped a huge number of people Instead, we're confusing them, and yeah. by saying, "Oh, but the high-fat diet's going to cause this, that, and the other," but it's going to prevent the diabetes. And what's killing South Africans is diabetes. Oh, yes. And that's the key, the message. Yeah. Let's not worry about heart disease. Heart disease is not the major issue in South African health. Diabetes is, and the di- This is the di- diet for diabetes. But we must appreciate: the more insulin resistant you are, the more you benefit. And we're not getting and that's that me. message out. And that's and
0: maybe my mom would still be alive today had I tailored her eating plan in a different way because I had my mom in a low GI eating plan and I was just basically feeding her poison without even realizing it. And just in terms of education, I'm glad you mentioned education. The schools, what are the schools teaching our children? I mean, Karen, are you like what? What are we? What are we teaching our kids? What are they being taught? What are they being fed at their schools? I worry about that now.
1: No, it's an absolute disaster. And there's actually an amazing movie called That Sugar Film uh, by an Australian guy called Damon Gamo, and we're hoping to bring that out. And it literally Mm -hmm. is. Is going to change the way we feed our kids and introduce things into schools because, uh, you know, I am not for not having any carbs. My kids have carbs. You know, I'm not a like a carb, like nut, carb-free nut. I yeah. really am not. I've got small kids, like I understand. I need to be real, but it's about that added sugar and it's about fake food, and that's what I think we should focus on getting rid of more than anything else. Is just
0: eat real food. Kids don't even know where broccoli comes from anymore. <laughs> and speaking of fake food, someone just tweeted and asked, just, just tick wants to know, are carb free Vienna's good for him and is, is, Coke, what, Coke light good for him?
2: No, neither. They're both processed, don't eat them. Mm.
0: No. And, and i wouldn't uh, I, and agree. I know he's yeah. listening.
4: Yeah. Just a question on kids. Um, sure. the Swedish government or, well, um, experts looked at a whole lot of data on high fat and low carbs and they said, High fast is better for weight loss, but they also said there's not a lot of data on kids. It's just not there. What should kids eat? What should obese kids eat? And remember, the Swedish people were looking, as you say, at diabetics and people who are obese, not everyone. Mm-hmm. What do you tell kids? I mean, you're saying you want to educate kids in schools. People who reviewed the data, who came up with your conclusions, said, well, we don't have days around kids. Okay, so
1: I never said I wanted to edu- educate kids in school. Absolutely not. I'm not qualified to do that. I wouldn't go near them. I said there is a movie coming out that really beautifully portrays exactly what's going on. That's what I said. The other thing that I said is that we need to cut out extra refined sugar and junk. Mm. Nobody can argue that that's beneficial for a growing child. And it does it nice. And I never said a high-fat diet either. So just keep... <laughs> (laughs) Keep it real and keep eating real food and help your kids. Like get them to help you prepare food, grow fruit, you know, make it a family affair and and just be, you know, healthy and natural.
2: But let's make the other point that carbohydrates are completely unessential. You you do not need one gram of carbohydrate. And then we're forcing our children to eat sixty percent carbohydrate from the age of three months. And we wonder why they get fat. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, well we have to wrap this up and I I wish I could spend more time with you guys. (laughs) Catherine, thank you so much for popping in. And I'm currently just closing statements from you before I hand over to Prof for his closing statements.
1: Ah, uh, she's you really caught me off guard there. Um, okay, so come to the conference low carb, high fat experts.com. Um, our book Sugar Free is coming out soon, and yeah, just make your up your own mind see what works for you and your body, but try and live authentic and real, honestly. <laughs> and all those haters on Twitter, we love you, <laughs> <laughs> Prof
0: Nooks.
2: Yeah, my message is what I said. You know, the insulin resistance is the single most important medical condition globally. Diabetes and obesity is out of control. It's going to wreck the nation, many nations financially and South Africa. We will eventually run out of money. We know that there is a, core, a cure for the condition and a prevention. And we have to understand that the role of carbohydrates are crucially important in these illnesses. And we need to focus on that.
0: No, thank you very much. And Just from me, I just want to say to both of you that thank you so much for being here. I know that on Facebook you have a great, great following and so many people want to thank you for introducing them to this eating plan. I mean, two of them are outside. Sharon Van Vake and Elise Kruger are here to see you and to thank you for changing their lives. And yeah, just from me, I think um, I've made a good choice for myself being insulin resistant and overweight. I mean, I tipped the scales at 145 kilograms in December. I'm down 10 kilograms and it's just falling off, as I say, without much exercise. So I'm hoping to become the poster girl for um, banting in Soweto Because I want all those people That are overweight there To benefit from what I'm benefiting And Catherine, a closing word from you
4: <laughs> Thank you for I being think, here by the way I, I really think appreciate what it. we can take out of this Is what Professor Noakes says This is a diet for overweight people And for people who are at risk of diabetes And the one thing that everyone agrees Like cut out the sugar I mean that is I think a very good piece of advice And probably also why you're losing weight
0: Thank you very much